by December. Um, it is uh, going through, uh, we're passing by horribly fast. Um, so uh, this kind of helps us uh, just kind of pause for just a little bit and remember kind of where we are in the scope of the month. Uh, we have one more Sunday after today before Christmas. Uh, right? Yeah. So, Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. I'm going to look the, today at the miracle of the mediator. Through the, our Christmas series, we're considering the miracles that take place as a result of Jesus revealing himself to the world in the flesh, which is called the incarnation of Christ. And we're going to look at the, the miracle this morning of, uh, of, of, of Jesus as our mediator. Hebrews chapter 4, we're going to be in verses 14 to 16 here in just a little bit. Now, uh, an idea that keeps uh, kind of surfacing through these sermons is, is the idea of identity or, uh, you know, who we are because of our connection to this, uh, this mediator, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And and this is an important question because it's really very easy as Christians to, um, to forget our identity, um, especially when we're bombarded by input from the world. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to share with you Paul's testimony about his frustration uh, in, in, in trying to maintain his identity as, as he gets bombarded by things. Uh, listen to Romans chapter 7, verse, verse 11 says, For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it slew me. You drop down to verse 15 of chapter 7. It says, For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that I do. See, Paul is getting frustrated with what is taking place. Verse 18 says, for I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. Now, he's, he's basically saying, Jesus, I know that you have called me to a life of following you. And that you promise through your spirit to give me the power, the ability to follow you. But I still keep struggling to be that person that you are enabling me to be. That's not just Paul's testimony. It's a testimony we can all relate to. Um, it's, it's our testimony. Temptation. Remember, tem temptation itself is not a sin. But, but temptation can cause us to forget our identity in Christ. Here's another testimony from Paul. Um, related to this identity. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 and 8, it says, And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelation, which was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Verse 8 says, For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. Now, if you remember, it did not depart from Paul. God left it there. You know, when we're going through physical ailments, uh, pain, medical issues, we find it hard to focus on his grace. 
We wonder why we're suffering. We keep wanting it to end. We pray and we pray and we pray. And our situation doesn't change. It can be distressing. It can be distracting. And again, this is another testimony from the life of Paul that we can relate to, that physical weaknesses can cause us to forget who we are in Christ. We forget to... uh, Keep our focus and attention on him. One more testimony of someone who forgot their focus. This one is from Peter. It's in Matthew chapter 14. Peter's testimony, and and, I'm not sure what it sounds like when you try to yell underwater, right? But that that was Peter's. Uh, Verse 29 says, And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked in the water to go to Jesus. Uh, Verse 30 says, When he saw the wind boisterous, He shifted his focus, his attention. When he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately, verse 31, Jesus stretched forth his hand, caught him, and said unto him, O thou of of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? When we have our eyes fixed on Christ, we feel like our faith is secure, that we can do anything, but then the chaos of the world around us causes us to look away from him, and of course when we look away, we're going to fear and we're going to doubt. We've taken our eyes off of Jesus, and now we're sinking under the waves of our circumstances that wouldn't have happened if we kept our eyes on Christ. See, that's the testimony, which again is our testimony. A lack of faith can cause us to forget who we are in Christ. Whether it's temptation, weakness, a lack of faith, they can all be the cause of us forgetting the identity that we have in Jesus Christ, who is our mediator. And, and, and here's, here's the... That's where we need this particular miracle a another christmas miracle so to speak it's a miracle described in hebrews chapter 4 verse 14 to 16 so i want you to find that and follow along hebrews chapter 4 verse 14 it says seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens jesus the son of god let us hold fast our profession For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmity, infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly, some translations will say come with confidence or confidently unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The issue here is is identifying with our mediator, with our high priest, the one who speaks for us to God and then speaks to God for us. Specifically, we have to think of what identity do we have when Jesus has already ascended to the Father, when, when he seems so far, when he seems so distant. I mean, he's in the spiritual realm. He's in another dimension, so to speak. And, and, and is he being that far away? Is he unavailable? Well, what, what seems to be and what actually is are, are, are two very different things. Because Jesus, God, the Son, is the one who came in the flesh, was, was, was placed in the manger. He is revealed as Emmanuel, God with us. 
He's a child which, which would not have seemed different than any other child at the time, but it is this Jesus who is the great high priest for us. To help us understand kind of the, the gravity of being a high priest, I'm going to read to you Rome, uh, Numbers chapter 18, verses 1 through 4. You can jot that down and read it on your own. It, it, from the way it's written, it tells us that being a high priest carried a lot of responsibility. Listen to this. Uh, Rome, um, I keep wanting to say Romans, but it's Numbers chapter 18, verse 1. And the Lord said unto Aaron, Thou and thy sons and thy father's house with thee shall bear the iniquity of the sanctuary. And thou and thy sons with thee shall bear the iniquity of your priesthood. And thy brethren also of the tribe of Levi, the tribe of thy father, bring thou with thee that they may be joined unto thee and minister unto thee. But thou and thy sons with thee shall minister before the tabernacle of witness. And they shall keep thy charge and the charge of all the tabernacle. Only they shall come nigh the vessels of the sanctuary and the altar, that neither they nor ye also shall die. And they shall be joined unto thee and keep the charge of the tabernacle of the congregation for all the service of the tabernacle and a stranger shall not come nigh unto you. That's a a heavy passage. There's a lot of of gravity, of of responsibility involved in being a high priest. But but so out out of all the people who worked at the temple, only the high priests were allowed to go behind any curtains, okay? Now remember there were there were two curtains. One curtain led to the holy place where there was the altar of incense and there was the table of showbread and the lampstands were there. But but the high priest went into that area daily. The second curtain, okay, the main one, the one that was ripped from top to bottom when Jesus died on the cross. Um, it's where the Ark of the Covenant was. Um, separated the holy place from the holy of holies. The high priest went into this area once a year, and that was on the Day of Atonement. The task of the high priest is, is very unique. Now, I know that sounds redundant, very unique. If it's unique, of course, it's the only one, but, it, but it's to stress a point. The task is, is, is singular, and it's the highest spiritual position that a person, a man, could be appointed to. The high priest is an intermediary between the people and God, and between God and the people. The high priest deals with our sin. The high priest sets the spiritual temperature of the land. The high priest had a very important task in, in, in conveying the will of God to the people. You know, in, in Exodus, when, when God sets the plans and designs for the tabernacle and all the fittings and all the accessories, uh, you know, God also designed the clothing uh, for the high priest. And, and on the clothing was a breastplate. And in the breastplate, there were these two items that we don't know a lot about called the Urim and Thummim, okay, weird names, okay, Urim and Thummim. Now, not a lot of known is about them because we're not given a lot of detail in Scripture, but they seem to have been kind of engraved dice-like stones, 
And, and they were used to discern God's will. They were placed on the breastplate. Exodus 28.30 says that they were put there so that they shall be upon Aaron's heart when he goeth in before the Lord. And Aaron shall bear the judgment of the children of Israel upon his heart before the Lord continually. It was the task of the high priest to reveal the will of God and make sure everybody understood the message that God wanted conveyed. That's the responsibility of the high priest, the one who, who is the highest spiritual authority in the nation. But, but humanly speaking, the high priest, these high priests had one fatal flaw that we share with them. If you're still in Hebrews chapter 4, look at verse 5. I'm sorry, chapter 5. Chapter 5, verse 1 through 3. All right, Hebrews chapter 5. For every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins, who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way, for that he himself also is compassed with infirmity, and by reason thereof he ought, as for the people, so also for himself, to offer for sins. See, the high priests, they identified with the people because of their own weaknesses. The high priest had the fatal flaw of being a sinner like the very people that he was representing before God. So earthly high priests, they, they can be empathetic, they can be encouraging, they can be gentle, they can be interceding, they can offer sacrifice, they can help show God's will, but they can also on occasion be completely useless because of their own sin. A high priest by the name of Eli ministered before the Lord just before the birth of Samuel. And in Samuel chapter 1, verses 12 to 14, you remember the story, uh, Hannah is praying essentially for Samuel to be born. Of course, she hasn't conceived yet. But it says, and it came to pass as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli marked her mouth, meaning he noticed her mouth. Verse 13, now Hannah, she spake in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli thought that she had been drunken. And Eli said unto her, how long wilt thou be drunken? Put away thy wine from thee. Now, this, this high priest, Eli, who had two horrible sons, by the way, and, and I encourage you to read the account. It, uh, they, they, were, they were not nice people, right? but that's a different message. This high priest had lost his connection with God, so discerning truth from error for him at this time was no longer possible. And Eli was not dealing gently. He was not dealing kindly with Hannah. A little later on in chapter 3, we read specifically that the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli. And the word of the Lord was precious in those days. That means rare. That means it was, it was not often heard. Uh, it says there was, there, there was no open vision. God, because of the corrupt spiritual leadership, God had stopped speaking. God's voice was not being heard even by the highest spiritual leader in the land. And it happened so uh, really also in the days of Jesus uh, where discernment of the high priest was gone. In Matthew 26 verses 3 and 4, 
boxes, then uh, assembled together the chief priests and the scribes and the elders of the people under the place of the high priest who is called Caiaphas and consulted that they might take Jesus by subtlety and kill him. The high priests were missing the very Messiah that they had been praying for for centuries to be revealed. See, the high priest, they were spiritually significant, but they had the one fatal flaw. They were sinners just like we are. Now look back in chapter 4, verses 14 to 16. Let's read it again. It says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us, therefore, come boldly under the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus is the great high priest. And because of his humanity, he can fully identify with us. He was tempted in every single way that we are. He's tempted like us, but there's no fatal flaw. There's no sin. See, when Joseph and Mary were upset that Jesus had stayed in the temple uh, as a boy and didn't you know, follow the caravan home, you know, Jesus may have been tempted to give them that 12-year-old know-it-all attitude, but he did not sin. When Jesus was spending all the time with the prostitutes who deliberately dressed very provocatively, he may have been tempted to lust, but he did not sin. When the disciples were arguing about who would be the greatest in heaven, who would have the greatest honor, Jesus may have been tempted to call them all useless half-wits, but he did not sin. When they were arresting him in the garden that night, uh, he may have been tempted to call the 12 legions of angels that were just waiting for a fight, but he did not sin. He didn't sin and show off his power when Satan tempted him to turn stones into bread. Remember, he had been fasting for 40 days. But when you're hungry, nothing smells better than fresh baked bread, does it? And realtors tell you that if you really want to stage your house and, and, and sell it right before somebody is going to come for a showing, you know, to just kind of heat some bread up in the oven so that the house smells like fresh baked bread. It, it triggers something, all right? Yeah. Even under that temptation, Jesus did not sin. He didn't sin when, when, he was asked, when he asked the Father if there was any other way for the price to be paid without having to drink from the cup of God's wrath. He didn't sin. That's our great high priest. Now, you look at that child in the manger, the one who fully understands our temptation, fully understands our weakness, and fully understands the frailty of our faith. Now this child is fully grown, and he writes to us in the scriptures, and he says this in 1 John chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, if we confess our sins, he is faithful, and he is just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then he says, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. 
Jesus who was in the manger but was also on the cross and then in the grave and then risen by his own power knows the power of the Father which the Father exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his own right hand in heavenly places far above all the rulers and the authorities and the powers and the dominion and every name that's named, uh, not only in this time, but in times to come. So that when we forget, because of our own temptation, we forget who we are in Christ because of our weakness, or we forget who we are in Christ because of our lack of faith. We do not have to fear that everything is lost. Because we have a mediator. We have one who speaks to us for God. Romans chapter 8 verse 34 it says, Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea rather that is risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also, it says, maketh intercession for us. He speaks to God on our behalf. Jesus is saying, I am here in this seat of the greatest spiritual power, of the greatest spiritual responsibility, the greatest spiritual authority. I am sitting at the right hand of the throne of God so that, Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2, therefore, uh, wherefore, seeing we also are compassed by, uh, with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us and let us run with patience or let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking unto Jesus looking unto our mediator the author and finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him he endured the cross despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God and it was good to stop and look at the manger, to be reminded that Jesus, in so many respects, is just like us. But Jesus outgrew the manger because that is only part of the miracle of Christmas. We fix our eyes on Jesus, our mediator, who right now is revealing God's will to us, who right now is speaking to God on our behalf. Now, what is God's will? It is God's will that you know that God loves you in spite of your sin. It is God's will that you know that God sent Jesus, his only begotten son, to die for you, to save you from your sins. Not in your sins, but from your sins, because it is your sins that condemn you to the lake of fire. And he wants to save you from his own wrath. It is God's will that you know Jesus is right now. If you know Christ is your Savior, he is right now interceding for you. He is speaking for you. He is speaking on your behalf. You, right in the middle of your temptation, right in the middle of your weakness, right in the middle of the frailty of your faith, Jesus is speaking to his Father for you. He is our mediator. So whatever you're going through, 
whatever the world throws at you, no matter the thoughts, no matter the fears, no matter the doubts, no matter what's swirling around in your head, you can look up to Jesus who is interceding for you. You can have the confidence to approach the throne of grace when you need help to run your race because you're not approaching the throne of grace on any of your own merits or anything that you have done or, or, or because you deserve access to this. You're approaching the throne of grace because of what Jesus has done and you, having trusted Jesus as Savior, are in Christ and you approach on his merit. You approach because of what he has done and that is to give you a confidence, a boldness, a surety that you have access through Christ to this throne, this place of help, this place of grace as you run your race. Your race has already been won. This little baby in a manger, this mediator that is seated at the right hand of the Father, What will he not give you? What will he not provide for you so that you can continue to run that race until you finally cross that finish line whenever it is in your life and stand before this loving father and hear the words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And you'll know, you'll know that if it's well done, it had nothing to do with you and everything to do with Jesus Christ. To know Jesus Christ as Savior is to know him as mediator. To know him as the one who represents you to the Father. And if you know Jesus as your Savior, you are as loved as Jesus is loved. You are as accepted as Jesus is accepted. But there's a dark side to that. If you do not know Christ as Savior, while you are still loved by God, You are right now the recipient of the wrath of God. The full, white, hot hatred of God for sin will be poured out upon you at your death, and it will never end. Remember, God's will is that you know he loves you, that he's provided Jesus Christ to save you from that wrath. You need to come to Christ, and you need to trust him to save you from your sins, and he will then become your mediator as well as he is ours, so that then you too can be as loved and accepted um, as Christ is that you can have as much access to the Father through Christ as we have. Not until then, but absolutely then. 
you come to know Christ as your Savior. This is our mediator. This is the Christ. This is the little baby in the manger that lived a sinless life, born of a virgin, raised, kept every single one of God's laws, died on the cross in our place as the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, rose again the third day exactly like Scripture said he would, and is right now seated at the right hand of the Father as our mediator. Now he's mine. If you know Christ as Savior, he is yours. If you don't know Christ as Savior, he can be yours. He wants to be yours. So you come to him in faith. You ask him to save you from your sins. You repent of your sins. You submit yourself to him. You allow him to change your life. He becomes your mediator as well as ours. Stand with your heads bowed and eyes closed. Father, we want to thank you for this look into your word, and we thank you so much that even even now as we are praying to you, we're approaching your throne of grace because of the work of Jesus. That we could not even pray with the expectation of being heard if it were not for this baby in the manger, if it were not for Jesus Christ, God the Son, incarnate. So, Father, in our meager way, we want to say thank you for the great sacrifice of your Son. Thank you that he is our high priest and our sacrifice and our mediator. Thank you for the salvation work that he has done in those of us that have trusted Christ. Father, for anyone here this morning that does not know Christ as Savior, I pray that your Holy Spirit would convict them of their sin, would convict them of their need of a Savior, that you would allow them, Lord, cause them to understand that their righteousness, the best they can do, is filthy medical waste. That you would cause them to throw all their hopes upon this risen Savior whose birth we celebrate in just a couple of days. Father, we want you to be glorified. And it's to that end we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Mike, would you come ahead?